Welcome to With Maze and Mal, a podcast where two sisters come together to talk about growing up, living life, all while managing a rare chronic illness. We have lots to say and we are finally sharing our stories. We want to acknowledge that we know everyone's experience will look different and everyone's story is valid, so don't think your journey has to look just like ours. We are not medical professionals, so any recommendations we make on here are based on our own experiences and any changes you make to your care should be discussed with your providers. Before we get started, we want to take a moment to acknowledge the recent Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe versus Wade in our country and uh, the precedent that was set by that case. This decision infringes on just about half the population's human rights and essentially revokes their bodily autonomy. Uh, we both live in states that allow us to retain our reproductive rights for now. Um, that could change with upcoming elections, but um, those in some other states are not as fortunate. And we just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that we as a podcast and as people are not afraid to get political, so to speak. And this decision is going to have a profoundly detrimental impact on our entire country. Um, and to ignore that this is happening would be naive and irresponsible with the platform that we have and the audience that we are trying to reach. So we just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge this horrific and unprecedented time and let our listeners know that we will be addressing this in greater detail in a future episode. Um, and I will make sure to include some places to donate um, in our bio on Podbean. Um, and we may try to post something on our Instagram as well. So stay tuned. Um, we would like to do an episode on reproductive health as it impacts us and the chronic illness community. Um, but that will uh, be in the future. So we just wanted to let you know that we know this is happening and um, we aren't afraid to talk about it. So um, do what you can, donate, protest, speak out. This isn't normal and we don't need to be quiet about it. So thank you. In this episode, we will be talking about our individual experiences going to grad school and higher education in general, why we decided to go, what we learned, and was it worth it? We'll also be touching on how we found a balance between managing our health and navigating the more typical challenges that grad school presents. So before we dive into uh, some of the questions and share our experience, we kind of just want to acknowledge like, yes, this is a pretty privileged topic to be discussing. Not everybody has the opportunity to go to grad school and we'll talk about some of the glaring inequities that are a part of uh, higher education. Um, we also want to share, as always, this is our own individual experiences. But for those people managing a chronic illness, disability, or rare disease who might be thinking about going to grad school, or if it's something that you've heard about and don't know if you're interested, we hope that this might provide a little bit of insight about our experiences. And of course, we're always open to talking to anybody um, and answering any further questions that we might not cover in this episode. So I just wanted to share that before we dive into this. Um, this was sort of the episode we had queued up prior to, you know, the, the political decisions that were made. Um, and so we just wanted to acknowledge that uh, it's, it's a pretty privileged to uh, topic to cover, but we hope that people will 
gain some insight from it and that you find it helpful. So um, with that, I wanted to start off by talking about what what is grad school in case you are not familiar with it. So basically graduate school is a way to get another degree after getting a bachelor's or four year degree to further your experience in a field. And in theory, technically it's supposed to be more hands-on than maybe an undergrad would be and give you real life experience so that you can move more quote unquote seamlessly, I guess, into a job or a career in that field. Do you wanna add anything, Maisie? What is grad school? Bunch of bullshit. No, um, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, it's kind of the after the next level after a bachelor's, if you want to gain more um, specific skills or um, access more opportunities, um, again, theoretically, now pretty much summed it up. And maybe this is silly, but I sort of had some preconceived notions about grad school before I started the process. I sort of assumed you had to have extensive knowledge of an area before you went to grad school. And I literally didn't even realize you could go and get your master's immediately after undergrad until I got there. And once I got to grad school, it was pretty eye-opening. And I also had some other assumptions, like since people were paying so much, they could actually like take it seriously. Um, I went to school with people who didn't even know how much a semester cost, what they were paying. And the privilege that was around me was really astounding, um, but that is probably for another day. Um, oh, I also foolishly assumed that when you were already working in the field, like had multiple jobs and had been in an established career for several years, that some of that could actually count towards your practicum or your internship or whatever that field experience was. And we both know now that that's not true. And yet another reason that higher education is really not built with working people in mind. And Maisie will share more about her recent experience with this later in the episode. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I, and I'll kind of mention this a little bit later too, in terms of like why I decided to go to grad school, but um I think I was kind of under the assumption that like you needed to go to grad school to get where you wanted to be. And I think in some fields, it can either propel you there faster or sort of um, speed up the process. But I think a lot of times um, you can get to point you know, from point A to point B without taking that route necessarily. So we'll, we'll talk more about that a little bit later, but, but yeah, I think that I, I thought there was this sort of pressure to um, obtain this magical degree that would all of a sudden make me good at this job and hireable. And I think there is a lot more that goes into that than just having letters after your name. So why did we decide to go to grad school? So for me, I was really at a point in my career, which I had been navigating for about seven years before I went to grad school. I was very fortunate to have a job right out of college 
in this field at a national level. Um, but I really couldn't pursue any further career opportunities, or at least I was made to think that until I had my master's in public health or my MPH. And I actually had people at the very top of the food chain, so our federal funders, asking me, when are we going to get you in public health? You need to go to grad school for public health. And I didn't even really know what that meant at the time, but it felt like a natural next step. And I also uh, was very foolishly thinking that that somehow meant that the people who were pressuring me to make this decision um, would somehow help pay for grad school. Um, and I was, I was very wrong. But at that point in my life and my career, I really knew that I needed to and wanted to get out of Maine, where I was living at the time. And I felt like going to grad school was sort of the only way that I could organically move and, and be able to support moving. So for me, um, the biggest reason was for that location change, really, um, and being able to expand my networks, you know, both personally and professionally. And when I was applying to grad school, I told, you know, my friends and family was like, whatever you do, like, don't let me sort of cop out and apply to schools in Maine, because while that might be easier logistically, I knew that it wasn't what I wanted. And I knew that it wouldn't help me sort of broaden my professional networks, which was why I wanted to go to school. Yeah, that makes sense. I think by the time I finished undergrad, I sort of felt like a bachelor's was the equivalent of like a high school degree. Like everybody had a bachelor's, everybody was going to college, which is a very privileged perspective in and of itself. And I think that really speaks to um, kind of the, you know, the household we grew up in was very um, passionate about academia and the mindset was kind of you, you know, go to college, get a job. And that was just sort of how it went. And I think you kind of blazed the trail in a lot of ways because um, some people my age didn't even know grad school was a thing. You know, they were like, oh, you just go to college and then, and then you're done. And so I think part of why I decided to pursue an actual degree um, was because I was working for the humane system at the time. And so I didn't have to pay tuition. Um, and so that was very appealing. And so I got my first year of an actual MSW under my belt. And then, you know, shit hit the fan and I ended up changing jobs and all of that. And I had to decide if um, it was still worth it to like, did I want this bad enough that I was willing to pay for it? And I decided that it was, and, um, it's, you know, 2020 hindsight, I may not feel the same now as I did then. Um, but you know, we live and we learn. Um, so that was kind of how I decided where to go. But Mel, how did you land on where you ended up going? So for me, I mean, I think this was probably one of the most challenging parts was deciding and the application process. And I always kind of joke, like, the hardest part of grad school is like getting in. And if you can do all of that footwork, like, 
then it's like, oh, okay, the rest is kind of, I mean, not easy, but it's sort of just seeing if you can jump through all the hoops and actually get where you need to be. So for me, unlike when I was going undergrad, um, this time I really did want to get out of Maine. And I still looked at where my natural supports and also my existing professional connections were. And I'm really fortunate that I have a pretty broad network based on just the work that I do. So I applied to Emerson and BU, Boston University, which are both in Boston, um, George Washington, which is in Washington, D.C., Columbia and New York, which is in New York, and Berkeley, California. And all of those are super good schools, so like you. Um, And I honestly can't remember if I applied to Columbia or Berkeley, but I really liked their public health programs. I did know that the accessibility, like physical accessibility of New York um, was probably a no-go for me and for Owen. Um, And at the time, there weren't many online public health programs because the emphasis is really like being in the community and like in the field kind of thing. And I did look at John Hopkins, which is an incredible public health school, but they relied really heavily on test scores. So like standardized tests, the GREs that you would take to get into grad school, which a lot of schools are not requiring anymore, which is really cool. Um, But I am not a test person. Like I think I did exactly average on my GREs and my SATs. And I really wanted a school that looked at everything I brought to the table, not just my standardized test scores, um, because I truly believe that lived and professional experience is worth a lot more than how a person may do on a test or an application. Um, So in the end, I got into Emerson and BU, and Emerson had a health communications program that I'm sometimes still a little bit sad I didn't do. But they weren't really nice to me, which obviously is really important if you're going to be giving your time and money to an institution. And when I visited the campus, they were not super accessible. And when I raised my concerns to them, they basically argued with me and were like, oh, no, we're accessible. We have people with disabilities that go here. And it was sort of like gaslighty. And I was like, "Mm, I don't really know about that. So um, Boston University School of Public Health, or BUSPH, um, really welcomed me with open arms. And when I went to their accepted student day, I really felt, like, I just felt it. I felt at home there. I felt welcomed. Um, They wrote me a letter and, you know, acknowledged my professional experience and, you know, everything I had done. And I think they gave me a little, like, tiny scholarship. Um, for being so established in maternal child health. So that was really nice. And and I feel like it's sort of one of those things like, you know, like dating, like when you're, you know, you're really investing a lot in this relationship and kind of like when you know, you know. So I felt that with BU. Um, <laughs> with George Washington, um, I literally heard back from them that I did not get accepted when we had already like moved to Boston. So like, Thanks for nothing. Love that. Um, not a great application process. So um, what about you? What, what, are, what is your advice um, if you're looking at schools? Um, and I know yours was sort of like a built-in decision, but do you have any other thoughts for people that might be trying to decide? Yeah, definitely. So I think like with, 
I feel like my thoughts have kind of changed because, you know, when I was applying for undergrad, I was like, oh, it really like, you know, go where you really want to be and da, 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 da. And uh, I think looking back, like I think undergrad, you know, get your degree where it makes sense to um, because ultimately like you're gonna get kind of the same, I don't want to say the same information, but like it, it's kind of just laying the foundation. And then grad school, if you decide to pursue it, is where you sort of um, build the more intricate structure of the house or the building, so to speak. Um, so I kind of landed at UMaine through the convenience. Um, it was an online program. I did want to pursue something in like policy or public administration or something like that. Um, but their only program was in Portland and it wasn't online. And I couldn't make the commitment to continuing to work full time and commuting to Portland twice a week. Um, so that really impacted my decision as well um, in terms of staying within the humane system. But um, I think make sure that if you are looking to pursue grad school, that um, it's what you want and it offers the specific program that you wanna dedicate yourself to. And then it also provides the opportunities to do the type of work that you wanna do um, fairly seamlessly. I really wanted to get into policy and advocacy and program development and even some like nonprofit management um, and sort of the more macro side of things. And I had to fight tooth and nail for opportunities to do that within my program. It was very clinically based. Um, the field placement experience was very misleading. Um, I got a lot of inaccurate information when I was trying to find placements. And they kind of function under the assumption that everybody wants to um, get their degree and then immediately go for their license, which a lot of people do, but they don't really know what to do with the people who don't, like with, with social work specifically. Um, so I think like grad programs are more unique depending on what you're looking for. And some have different tracks, some have different specialties, some have, you know, um, different internship offerings. So, you know, you can kind of get your, your major in psychology anywhere if you want to get your undergrad um, or if you want to pick, you know, your undergrad school. But when you're deciding what you want to do with it and really trying to like figure out your actual career trajectory down the road, um, I think you can let yourself be a little bit more picky. And like Mal said, it's like dating, like don't settle. You know, I feel like I really settled for UMaine because the first year was free and I was afraid that um, my credits wouldn't transfer and I would be back at square one and I would end up paying for that first year anyway. And in the grand scheme of things, like if you're gonna take out loans and be in debt, you may as well like be somewhere you wanna be and get your money's worth instead of just, you know, being in debt and hating every minute of it. So um, yeah, I guess that's kind of like, location does matter, obviously. Like if that's a chance for you to resettle and um, build those connections somewhere where you wanna end up. Um, but now so many programs are online um, or hybrid or you know you meet once a semester or something like that. So there is some, some more flexibility in that.
So I know that all of this is like really fresh for you because you literally graduated like three-ish, not even three months ago. Um, So why don't you share a little bit about what do you think your biggest lessons learned in grad school were good or bad or, you know, as you're sort of processing this like really fresh experience with your, your shiny new social work degree? Yeah, so I am barely a month out of grad school, like a month and some change. And uh, it's, I really don't think I've given myself sort of the space and the time to process what an experience it was, because not only was I going through grad school and managing the challenges that come with that, but I was also doing it through a pandemic and a period of civil unrest and, um, just a completely unprecedented time. So we had to deal with all the challenges of navigating a grad program and the world just kind of crumbling around us in the field of social work where we're kind of expected to pick up the pieces as it's crumbling. So that was honestly wild. And um, I wish our program had sort of given us more grace and um, space to process events as they were unfolding. Um, Like there was one class and I can't remember what the class was specifically, but we were having, we had to do like a discussion post as um, the Black Lives Matter movement was unfolding. And I actually like posted something in kind of our general questions thread and said, can we take a second and talk about what this means for us as social workers with, you know, in a field that's 85% white upper middle class females, like what can we do to like amplify the voices of the people that we need to hear from the most, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to quote unquote help, um, but we aren't listening to the people who we need to be listening to. Um, And so my professor was like, oh, that's a great idea. We should talk about that. And I was like, wow, Yeah, we should. Um, So that was kind of the general theme was just a um, lack of awareness of what was going on. But I think like the greatest lesson that I learned from this process as a whole was that no degree or internship or amount of letters after your name will necessarily make you feel good at your job. Um, or your field. Um, Imposter syndrome is a real thing. (laughs) And it doesn't necessarily go away just because you keep going to school. Um, Like I was literally looking at PhD programs like two weeks after graduating because I kept thinking, you know, I'm not good enough. I didn't learn what I wanted to learn. I didn't get the opportunities I wanted to get. And like, while some of that is, is true, um, I also think that's just part of who I am as a person. Like, I'm always striving to be better and improve and grow and learn. And I think grad school taught me that um, a lot of that just comes with time and experience. And a lot of people tried to tell me that. And that's just something that you have to learn on your own. Um And I am very like book smart. Like I love academia. I love research. I love writing papers and life isn't like that. You know, you don't get the 
the feedback, um, the immediate gratification of getting a grade. Um, you know, sometimes the work that you put in, you don't see results from for years. Sometimes you never do. Um, and so just knowing that the work that you're doing is enough um, can be really hard when you have been in a system that um, provides you with such structured feedback for so long. Um, and I think, you know, networking, making connections, being out in the field, all that scares me because um, I'm, I'm very good at, at research and making things sound smart. But when it comes down to it, like, it's just me doing the work that I've, I've really always wanted to do. Um, but I don't necessarily have the safety net of school or academia or a professor or, you know, anything to be like, oh, I, I don't know, I'm just a student, you know, I'm, I'm doing it now. Um, so I think that was one of the biggest ones that I'm still kind of navigating and, and a pill that I'm trying to swallow. Um, but I think the other thing that you touched on a little bit, Mel, that was so eye-opening to me is just the privilege that is inherent in higher education and something that so often just goes unmentioned and like almost my entire cohort, if not my entire cohort was upper middle class white women. And I think that is really dangerous because there's this unspoken sense of white saviorship that comes with that. And we're like, we can help you. We're helping people. We're helping kiddos and we're helping these people and da, 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 da. And, you know, we have the, the jargon and the knowledge of the resources and maybe the connections that they need. Um, but it is, it can be really dangerous when we think that we are the ones with the power when we need to be empowering the people that we are working with um, or rather helping them see the power that they have in themselves. So that is really like, you know, we talk in circles about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I had to quit my job to even be able to, to meet the qualifications of this program. Like I started working at Starbucks because it let me pick my hours and provided me health insurance. And I took probably a $7 an hour pay cut um, to try to get my internship that I loved it. They were wonderful, wasn't stipended. None of the work that I did ahead of that um, counted for anything. So really you just have to give everything you have to this program um, in hopes that it is worth it in the long run. And it's, we just are doing ourselves such a disservice by making these programs so inaccessible um, and so inequitable. And I can't tell you how many conversations I sat in on that were like, how do we increase diversity? How do we increase equity and inclusion? And, you know, I look at the, the Zoom screen or the room of people and it's all white people who, you know, have an hour to kill during their day to sit around and talk about this stuff, but they aren't willing to actually change the structure to make it more accessible. Um, you know, I had to take out loans. I had to quit my job. I had to um, pay less in rent, which like is not something everybody is able to do. Um, it, it's so financially detrimental um, that to even be able to put myself in this position required so much privilege and it, it was just disgusting. Like the, the 
we were having conversations about people that will never be in that room, you know? So that was just like very eye-opening and disheartening. And um, yeah, that was, that was definitely one of the biggest lessons that I took away from that was that like, they don't, they don't actually want to make change. They just want to talk about it. But at the end of the day, like they're still raking in 50 K for tuition and they want the people who can pay that. So it's gross. Yeah. I, I feel like social work and public health are very, very similar. Um, and I saw a lot of the same things and I'm actually still having a lot of the same conversations at the national level. Um, so yeah, so the privilege is real. And, you know, what you were saying about how you haven't really given yourself the space to kind of process. I mean, I graduated from grad school seven, seven years ago, seven years and change, and I'm still processing. And when I was in grad school, um, one of my professors actually allowed me the opportunity to just write about my experience. And mind you, I mean, while we were in Boston, we had the marathon bombing, we had blizzards, um, you know, we navigated healthcare challenges. It was, it was so much more than academia. And the academia was just like, there was the academia part, but then there was the self-reflection piece of how I, as a disabled white woman, you know, who had already been doing this work, sort of fit into the narrative and and what was my job and what was my identity and it started to feel a little bit convoluted and a little bit frustrating but I, I will say you know on that note I think I learned more about myself than anything during my time in grad school and to be honest like I don't remember a lot of like the book stuff. <laughs> um, I, I learned a lot about what was missing in public health programs and how it didn't feel accurate to what people really experienced who were navigating the systems and, and using the, the programs that were being created. You know, there was no mention of disability at all as the public health inequity. Um, I actually went on to create a curriculum that BU is launching this summer um, because as an independent study, I was like, you know, you guys don't talk about this at all. Like, why isn't this a part of the curriculum? Um, and I think that's, that's part of the privilege. Like, even when I would guest lecture, you know, in my class one year, you know, Owen and I co-presented and the stage wasn't accessible, you know, and my professor was mortified, but like the facilities weren't even built with people with disabilities in mind in public health and, and medical education. And I think that just sort of speaks volumes, but, you know, I, I really learned how important my voice was in this work. And I went back and forth a lot during my time in grad school about what am I doing? Why am I doing this? None of this matters. I already have a job. No one's going to care if I quit tomorrow. You know, my job isn't going to go away. Um, and I had a, a lot of people sort of encourage me and support me and be like, no, no, like you are what we need in this program. Um, and 
as much as maybe I wouldn't have chosen to do this work if I could do it over, it sounds really cheesy, but like it sort of chose me, you know, and I think about like Harry Potter and like, you know, the wand chooses the wizard kind of thing. Um, and it definitely just felt a lot like that. Like I was meant to be there and to represent the voices of people who didn't have the privilege to have a seat at the table and to lift up, you know, the need for that inclusion and equity. And while we still have a long way to go, I feel like that I did make an impact. And even if that's what came from getting my public health degree, you know, and and now having a role at a national organization who really values my voice and my input, I feel like that sort of makes it worth it. Um, but it wasn't easy and and it is a lot to process, um, definitely, you know, emotionally. And we continue to do that as social justice professionals. So yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking of a couple instances where I was like, you know, I really tried to bring like the the macro lens and and sort of the systems perspective to a lot of different um settings and saying like okay well like what other variables are at play with this client and we had to do a ton of like case studies and stuff like that and I was like you know do they have a place to live like what systems are at work that are making this situation more difficult and one time um I for for billing purposes for insurance you have to diagnose somebody with something um and again this is very specific to social work and and even my program um, but I don't care. I'm calling them out because I hate them. Um, but I said, isn't it a little bit problematic that you have to diagnose somebody with a potentially life-changing diagnosis within the first 30 days of even knowing them? And my professor goes, yeah, but that's a bigger issue and we don't have time to talk about that. And I said, wow, I'm in the wrong place. Okay. And I didn't say anything for the rest of that class. Um, so that was kind of indicative of how uh, my particular perspective and my particular take on things was perceived. Um, and then another class, I it was research and I was so excited about this class because I wanted to know more about research because that was something that I wanted to pursue. Not anymore, I had a really embarrassing interview after I graduated and we won't be talking about that anymore. But. Um, my professor, we had our first like Zoom class with her and I was so excited to hear about her research that she had done. And um, she was talking about it and she's like, well, you know, most people don't like research or don't aren't interested in research. And I spoke up and I was like, I'm really excited. Like I, this feels like the, you know, the last real academic opportunity I had to um, dig into this. And she goes, completely deadpan. She goes, that'll change. I was like, okay, you're right. It just did. I don't care anymore. And, um, another, like, there are just so many, there was another one in my policy class and we had to write a paper on, um, a policy that affected us personally. And again, it was a cohort of, you know, mostly upper middle-class white women. And this was one of our in-person classes. We had two in-person classes a semester and one person said, raised her hand in class and said, well, 
I'm, you know, white and Christian and like, I'm not really affected by policies. So can I just pick one that I like or like find interesting? I was like, we haven't even had the right to vote that long. Like, <laughs> okay. So it was just that like, that level of ignorance this late in the game, I could not wrap my head around. It was just so like, disheartening. And then thinking about it more recently, just sort of the financial piece. Um, I know I was just talking about this in our group chat with mom, but I am currently working three jobs. And part of that is because I am a workaholic and I don't like not having money. Um, but I think the other part of it is that when my, so during the last semester, I found out that I needed to take another elective and I had taken out enough loans to cover my classes for that semester and what I had budgeted for my cost of living expenses. And my advisor didn't tell me that I missed an elective somewhere along the way. So I was budgeting for three classes and cost of living expenses when I should have been budgeting for four classes and cost of living expenses. So what I had budgeted for cost of living expenses now had to cover that and a fourth class that I hadn't anticipated. So I was literally living, like I had Starbucks to supplement, but I mean, it's 13 bucks an hour. Like that's, you know, enough to fill up my gas tank right now, basically. And so I was working and I had my 20 hour internship. So I was working the equivalent of a 40 hour work week and only getting paid for half of that at like, basically below minimum wage at this point, I think, I don't know. Um, but I was so, I, I drained my bank account. I overdrafted and I haven't done that since undergrad, you know, almost 10 years ago at this point. And that was so upsetting. And so like, I, I didn't know what to, like, what do you do when you're out of money? When you have no more, like we are so close to, not like you can't function without it. You can't buy groceries. You can't pay rent. Like it is so easy to fall through the cracks. And like, thankfully I have such a huge support system and I, I am so privileged, but it was so that degree of scarcity is so it's so upsetting. And so I think now I'm like, okay, I am going to work as much as I can because I don't want to feel like that again. And we're just bombarded with this message of like, you know, work as hard as you can to make as much as you can and save it and pay off your debt and da, 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 da. And it's, it's never enough. It's never enough. Like I will always be one paycheck away from overdrafting, emptying my checking account, having to open another credit card, having to take out loans. Like the, the financial system within which we exist is not designed for people in the lower and middle classes to get ahead. And if you take advantage of any opportunity that you think will propel you out of that, it really has the potential to just suck you farther down. So I just want to be like really transparent about that because it sucks. <laughs> like it really sucks. And then I think the last thing I'm, I'm doing all of my processing now <laughs> I'm realizing <laughs> we wrote this huge long like script of notes and I just like there was so much um, but one thing that they really, really honed in on in my program was self-care. And every log we did, we had, I can't remember, like 25 logs or something for each week of our field placement. 
we had to talk about what we were going to do for self-care that week. And by the end of my program, my logs were so mean. They were so mean because in my self-care portion, I would put, you know, it would be great self-care getting paid for 40 hours worth of work when I was doing 40 hours worth of work. You know, it would be great self-care being able to pay my bills, being able to have time to go to the gym because I'm not writing six papers a night, you know, being able to take a walk with my partner instead of sitting on a class that could have been a fucking email. Like it, it's so silly. I was like, you know, it would be great self-care not having to go to school through a global pandemic with like no accommodations. Like it, it, it was ridiculous. And like the lack of accountability, like knowing I was getting the same grades as people who weren't doing the work, who weren't like, who were doing the assignments in five minutes and getting the same grades as me. Like it, there's no incentive to try. There was no incentive to do well because we all, they were just like, you did it. Good job. You did it a month late. Good job. And like, yeah, that's, you know, that's great for the flexibility or whatever, but like, we wouldn't hear from students for like three months and then they'd be like, I got all my work done. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was an option. So it's just like, I don't know. And then, yeah, like we took one class on like nonprofit management or whatever. And we were talking about how, um, like basically we'll never make a decent wage because people in our field are like willing to to do this work for like 15 bucks an hour and they were talking about how to manage a budget and like the role of an executive director and one of my classmates was like well I don't want to be a director I just want to like do the work I was like oh my god okay and like we talked about how like there's such this negative stigma about like if you're in the helping profession and like Mal you just mentioned this like you know, there's this assumption that like, you're in it for like the warm fuzzy feeling. And like, yeah, absolutely. Like I literally took a pay cut to have the job that I have now because it's the work I want to be doing. But I would also like to be able to, to feed myself, to put food on my table and pay my bills. And it's just like, until we collectively as a field start demanding what we're worth. And, and clearly that's not going to happen if people have no interest in even learning how the system works, that we are you know, working within, it was just, it was so mind boggling to me. It was just so mind boggling. So those are uh, some of the (laughs) the lessons that I learned. So we're processing. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's, it's crazy. And I remember my first semester when we got there, professors literally said to us, well, we know no one's here for the money. And I think that's such a toxic, like, perception. And within, you know, the nonprofit and public health sector, you know, there is this sort of just assumption and and cultural understanding that we will do work for peanuts. And that, that goes so deep into, you know, the way that people with lived experience are treated when we are offered opportunities to speak and we ask for compensation, people are, people are astounded. When I tell people that I charge a speaker's fee, you know, we, we've been told specifically in the rare disease community, um, we don't pay our speakers. And I've said, okay, um, you should readjust your budget then because you should, we are bringing our 
professional and our personal expertise, you know, we are told it's a resume builder, it's great exposure. Well, guess what? My resume is five pages long. I have a business, I have a professional degree, I have 15 years of policy and and experience in the system. Why is my lived experience not worthy of compensation, but a medical provider with a PhD is? And so I think there needs to be a big culture shift. And also just, you know, with, within these fields, looking at why, you know, why we're paid what we are. And I'm very fortunate, I will say, to work for a nonprofit. And Maisie and I talked about doing an entire episode about nonprofits, and I think we should. Um, I'm very fortunate to work for a nonprofit now who did an actual audit on staff retention, on salary, and they raised salaries significantly. And I make $20,000 more now than I did at my last nonprofit. But I also know people who went from public health um, to the corporate landscape and their salaries doubled. And it's interesting because you and I were talking, you know, last time, um, just chatting. And I was talking to this, you know, one of my neighbors who works in finance. And, you know, we were talking about salaries. And I had mentioned about, you know, thinking about going to the private sector and, you know, sort of the difference and how um, public health, you know, it doesn't really pay that much. And he looked me like dead in the eye and he was like, why is that? And I thought that was so interesting because we as social justice professionals have just accepted it as the norm that helping professions just pay shitty. <laughs> and and why? Why is that? Like, we know there's money. We're writing the grants. We're seeing the budgets. But why, as a society, do we not value teachers and social workers and things like that the same way as we do corporations like Google and Amazon and Microsoft and private insurance companies. Like, why? And I just thought that was so interesting that he like verbalized that because I just was like, I don't know. It's just, it is what it is, my man. Um, but, you know, I think like you said, Maisie, you know, the idea of budgeting and loans and things like that, you know, I want to be really transparent we paid for our housing on student loans because it was the only way we could afford the available accessible housing that would allow us to be safe and included during my grad school experience. And so my debt is exponentially what it could have been because that was what we needed at the time. And so when you talk about being on the brink, we, I literally wasn't making enough for us to live where we live. And I know there's probably a bunch of people going, oh my God, how can you live beyond your means? How could, you know, I, I was told to go to grad school. I was encouraged. I was told this was how I would go further in my career. And frankly, there were no other options and I would have had to decline and defer my education if we weren't able to pay for housing. So a lot of people do it. It's not ideal. It's the way the education system works. Um, but I would wait for those loans to be dispersed so we could pay rent. And I know that's terrible, but like that was part of the anxiety 
And so you can imagine when I'm going, you know, on the bus with people who don't even know how much they're paying for school and their parents pay their rent and they're not working and, you know, they're able to do all these things, you know, just because they're passionate. Like it was really, really difficult emotionally. And it's not to say that we're not privileged because we are, but it, it was just, it, it felt so disconnected and I got really resentful. You know, I was like, I can't imagine what it must be like. And I'll talk about this, you know, in a little bit to just be able to go to school and focus on this experience. And maybe I wouldn't still be processing for seven years if I wasn't also working and speaking. And, you know, but those were also the things that like reminded me why it was so important for me to continue my education because I was already doing the work. So it is just a really weird cycle. And I I think we have to mention that financial piece because, you know, this didn't happen for free. Um, you know, we, we made decisions and that's just, that's America and public health. It's so, I think, I think we definitely will do like a different episode on like nonprofits and even like how we got into the fields that we, we chose. Um, but there's even that sort of stigma and misconception or, um, like notion that comes with like, do, having a private practice, like it's even within the field of social work itself. Um, if you, you know, open a private practice, there's like a, there's sort of a hoity toitiness about it because you can be picky about the insurance. You can be picky about the clients. And one thing that I really struggled with was that I wanted to explore policy and there was this unspoken message that people who do policy and advocacy, um, I'll share maybe in the nonprofit one, I'll share my final creative project, um, but that we're sort of in this ivory tower looking down on the people that we're writing these policies for and the people who are, you know, the quote unquote real social workers are the ones in the trenches, you know, the ones with the boots on the ground. And that was also really harmful because it sort of stigmatized the idea of doing macro and systemic work and policy work. And I think it's all like, I I really can't get too existential about it because I think it's all so intentional because that's where change happens, you know? And, And the insight from the people who do have the boots on the ground and the experience working one on one with clients can really influence the changes that are made at the systemic level but we need to work together. We can't work against each other. And when they're putting it in, you know, when they're putting these ideas in our head that, that policy and social work and policy and public health and public health and social work, we're all functioning in these spheres and these vacuums. And we're all trying to do the same goddamn work. And so, you know, not to, I'm, I'm already going on a tangent because it's, it's just so mind boggling to me, but like, and I talked about this a little bit in our last update, Um, But we're fighting for the same pits of money to create the same programs to help the same people. So it's like if we just prioritize mental health and public health and and housing and, you know, healthcare and mental health, you know, all of that stuff. If we prioritized that as a country, those funds would be dispersed and we wouldn't have to beg for them. And so that's why, like, we are willing to settle for pennies 
because we know that like we're lucky to even have a job because it's just not a fucking priority for this country. So I think like, you know, we'll definitely get more into that in another episode, but we, we are not a priority for this country. And, you know, the farther we get and the more changes that are made, it is just becoming so glaringly obvious. So I don't blame yeah. people who go to corporate. I don't blame people who yeah. you know, open a private practice and don't take public insurance, whatever, like do what yeah. you have to do to survive at this point. It sucks. Well, and I, I definitely, uh, when, whatever episode we do, um, I will definitely process, uh, the idea of going to the government side and how I was treated by the people who are the quote unquote boots on the ground. Uh, but that is for another day. And we should probably move along because speaking of begging for pennies, I have a grant to help write uh, this afternoon. So we will be be doing the work. Um, but I do want to kind of go back to what we had talked about a little bit. Um, for you, Maisie, how did you manage your health in grad school and how did that play a part in your experience? So I know this is one area where our experience differed a lot. Um, I am very much used to doing a million things at once. And um, generally speaking, my health can can usually keep up. Um, I was hospitalized a couple of times just with like routine bullshit. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm very used to hopping on Zoom calls from the hospital. I <laughs> was on a group supervision from the hospital bed. I logged into a Zoom class from a hospital bed. Like that is just bar for the course. Um, but one thing that really kicked me in the face was finding a job that was flexible enough with its hours and provided benefits. Um, I love waitressing. I will waitress until I am 90 years old. Um, but good luck finding a serving job that offers any sort of benefits. Um, and that's why I really am so grateful for Starbucks. Um, sorry, I know they're a giant billion dollar corporation too, but um, they gave me health insurance and I didn't have to um, break my back to try to get it. It's, you know, 20 hours a week to keep your benefits. But for a couple of months before I qualified, there is like a, you have to work a certain amount of hours um, before you qualify. So I had to utilize COBRA through my old job. Um, and I am really grateful that my healthcare company was really um, supportive and helped me navigate that sort of financial situation. Um, but that was essentially $700 a month for health insurance. Um, and I did not have that. So again, I can't go without insurance. So, you know, some people are just like, well, hope I don't get hurt. Hope I don't get sick. I can't, I can't, I, that is a privilege I do not have. Um, my supplies themselves are about $1,500 a week. That's not even counting my fluids, my IV fluids. So finding a job that um, would cover that for me and still allow me the flexibility to finish school and my field placement was terrifying um, and seemingly impossible. <laughs> so that was that was really scary. I think that was when the reality of, um, you know, being in the chronic illness sphere really, really slapped me in the face. Um, but I know you dealt with a lot more in terms of like actual health challenges during your experience. 
Yeah, sure did. So um, if you listen to our episode about college and our undergrad experiences, which if you haven't, you should, I talked about how basically my body sort of decided to tell me um, when I was overdoing it in undergrad. And you would think that after that experience, I would have learned. Um, but surprise, um, I didn't. And so when I went to grad school, I began full time. And in hindsight, I'm thinking that that was tied to some potential opportunity that promised me something. I don't know. There were a lot of like false promises during my time in grad school, which like I think we'll talk a little bit more about when we do our moving episode um, and sort of some things that like I that like backed our decision to move to Boston, but for another day. Um, so I started as a full time student and I was also trying to work full time, which my job at the time was remote and, you know, sort of a little, you know, loosey goosey. And so this seemed feasible. Then after a few months, my body just like decided to stop making blood cells. We don't know why to this day. Um, I had aplastic anemia, ended up in the hospital um, for a long time. It was pretty intense. Um, again, we'll we'll dig more into that. Um, but it it was a pretty big event um, that made me have to adjust my whole academic trajectory. And what I will say is that the support I received from BU was really incredible. Um, I had professors coming to see me in the hospital, um, bringing food for my family that was there. Um, they sent flowers. And ultimately, you know, they were really supportive in helping me navigate what was a really difficult decision for me to become a part-time student. And at the time, you know, Maisie, you and I always talk about like, failure is not an option and we don't quit. And, you know, these are just things that pressures that we've sort of put on ourselves. And so for me, you know, this felt sort of like a, a sign of weakness and, and, you know, like I had failed in some way, but BU never really made me feel that way. They wanted to make sure that I was still getting, you know, the most out of my program and able to participate. They were very accommodating. Um, and in the end, I think that, taking that extra year to finish the program really allowed me to get more out of it. I mean, as it is, I don't remember a lot of what I learned, um, but I can't imagine doing everything that I did in a two-year period. And I think, again, that's the privilege of being able to go to school and not work because that's why it's a two-year program. It's not a two-year program for people who have to work. So in the end, I ended up working part-time, going to school part-time, living on loans full-time. Um, and, and it was just what I had to do, you know, to navigate. And it really taught me to listen to my body again um, and do what I needed to do, that my path was not the same as everybody's. And and that was okay. You know, I, I still was able to graduate with people I considered my friends. And it was, you know, a really important experience. And it it just it just was what it had to be for me. And, and that was okay. That was what I needed to do. Yeah. So as, as we start wrapping up, um, you know, I think we've covered a lot of territory and I hope people have some, some things that they can take away from this episode, but 
what are your, you know, final words and your final advice for people to consider when they're thinking about going to grad school or looking at, you know, continuing their higher education? I think the biggest thing to think about is like, do you need to? Like, I think there are a lot of different paths to different career outcomes and different trajectories. And, you know, there's different ways to get from point A to point B, like I said. And I think, um, especially now, you know, standardized testing is sort of being less important. And, um, you know, it, it's really a lot of who you know, um, other, if there are other like certificate opportunities. And, and really, like, I was having a conversation with somebody at um, a Pride event, actually, and she was like, so how did you like get into the nonprofit sphere? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> how much time do you have? Um, but, but really, I think it's about how you sell yourself because we were talking about, um, you know, she was like, I've only really worked at like a coffee shop and like a cashier job. And I was like, I bet you have really great de-escalation skills. And I bet you have really great critical thinking skills and problem solving and, um, you know, flexibility and digital. And she was like, wow, like, I never thought of it like that. And I was like, it is all about how you are able to take the skills that you have developed and apply them to the position that you are looking at, you know, and there are some, you know, there are some postings that are like minimum bachelor's, minimum MSW, whatever. Um, and so obviously you can't necessarily overcome that. Like it, it is very case by case, but, um, but otherwise, like, I think it's just about like putting yourself out there. So I, I guess don't necessarily assume that you need those letters after your name or like really take the time to do the research in the field that you're looking to enter um, and see if there's a way to get where you want to get without it. <laughs> um, because it's higher education is a marketing scam. Like they just <laughs> want to make you feel like you don't know enough and you're going to learn more. And um, you have to take this class and this class and this class and then you'll know it all. And it's just not true. It's just not true. So much of it you learn in the field. Um, and I just think it's, you know, some people thrive in academia. I'm one of those people. And I am slowly learning that, you know, I've learned <laughs> just as much waitressing and working at a coffee shop as I have paying $50,000 to get three letters after my name and a degree that I still haven't received. So, I don't know. Um, I think just like be mindful of the opportunities that you want to pursue and think about if there's a way for you to pursue them without paying for them. Like some places will do like tuition reimbursement. Some places will, you know, pay for a certain amount. Um, really, if you are interested in it, look for um, opportunities for that. And I added in our little notes, um, look for positions with universities because you get tuition reimbursement and tuition coverage. Um, even if you do like an administrative position for a couple of years, like you get the same benefits. So check it out. Um, you might be able to, you know, even if that's not your end goal, that might be kind of a foot in the door um, and you can kind of see what, what is out there. So that's just kind of, I, <laughs> I don't know if I would do it again, frankly. I definitely don't know if I would do it again. And I don't think I would do the program that I did 
if I would do it at all. So hooray. <laughs> what about you? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, all of that was really good advice. And I do want to mention we have in our sort of our like treasure trove of outlines, um, an episode about careers and networking and building a business and getting a job. And so I think that sort of goes hand in hand with this as sort of like our trajectory. So we'll definitely be doing that pretty soon. So you can look forward to that. Um, so for me, I think my biggest advice is don't do it because someone tells you you should. I've had a lot of um, mental epiphanies lately about how much I should on myself and how much people have shoulded on me. And I've started to just really like be just so aware of that and, and really think about like, the things I do because I feel like I should and the things I do because I truly want to and are meaningful to me. So think about, you know, are you doing this because someone is telling you you should? And it's a huge commitment. Um, people use the term grad school widow. Um, my now husband, uh, we lived together and he basically like never saw me, even though we shared a 500 square foot apartment. Um, and really grad school is like a marriage or a relationship financially, emotionally, really take the time to think about what you want to learn, like Maisie said. And if a master's is really necessary for that, like, is there a way to do a free certification? You know, the education landscape is changing, you know, with COVID and virtual opportunities. So, you know, really see what's out there. Um, if if I could do it over, I'm not sure I would have done public health. Um, maybe I would have done a different concentration, more focused on policy or administration, like Maisie said. But by the time I was sort of having that realization, people were literally telling me, and, and I just wanted to be done. I was emotionally drained. I feel like I left grad school just as a shell of a person. <laughs> and it's taken me a really long time to get back into what I really like went there to do. And that's a long story in itself. But, you know, my focus of maternal child health was so niche that I ended up sort of where I ended up by default based on who I knew, the work I had done. And as I took more classes in maternal child health, I kind of realized like, this isn't necessarily what I want to do. Um, but it was kind of too late. And I, like I said, I just wanted to be done. Um, it's a really expensive, you know, mistake to make. Um, and I would also suggest that people do not go to grad school right out of undergrad. It may seem like an organic next step and you're jazzed and you're energized and you're, you know, you want to just get it all done, but work in the field, get some lived experience under your belt, you know, even an entry level position, you know, do, you know, it can be hard to do an inter internship if you're not in an academic program, but like volunteer, you know, do the, make sure that that's really what you want to do. Um, I felt like I could view my grad school experience from such a higher level view having really made connections and learn, you know, learning about where I was in the field. And one thing I will say that made my experience a lot more 
frustrating was because I had done so much in the field and I had connections and I had done the work. And literally, I mean, I had written things that were on the syllabus and I worked for people, you know, that we were learning about. And so when I first started, I had to sort of have a conversation with my professor and be like, hey, so I know all of this. And and not to say that, like, I didn't have things to learn, but in this intro to MCH class, it didn't make sense for me to sit there and not speak up that, like, I had written these resources. And so she was really receptive to that. And I had the opportunity to guest lecture, like, even when I first started And I also remember she said something to me that just really stayed with me. And she said, I'm I'm really glad you shared all that with me. And you're more than welcome to, to guest lecture and teach a class and share about your experience. But I also want you to know that you can just listen and you can just be a student. And that just like shook me because I had always been the expert and the advocate and, you know, was raising my hand saying like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I was like, no one had ever really proposed that to me of just being able to listen and learn. And so that did sort of shift my perspective about how I went into a lot of my classes that I wasn't as familiar with, but I'm not going to lie. A lot of my classes felt like a huge waste of time um, because of how much I knew. So that's my advice of, you know, take your time, do your research, you know, figure out if it's worth it um, and listen to yourself. Don't listen to what other people tell you to do. So that's kind of my, my final thought. Yeah, that's all very helpful for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine doing grad school right after undergrad, honestly. Like, and it's so weird too. I was just thinking like, I'm part of this Facebook group and it's called grad school memes with relatable themes and it's literally just grad students like dumping their horrible feelings about grad school and there's just like this overwhelming stigma that like grad school is suffering like it's it it's just like you you are just not a human for like you know two to four years or whatever and I don't know why like I don't know why you have to like you know, grind and hustle and like be so, I I don't know, like, I don't know why it's structured like that, but it's not healthy and not sustainable and not worth it. (laughs) So, and and that's, yeah, I mean, that's my experience, like at a high level. I mean, there was, there was some experience that like, were just straight up traumatic. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's taken a lot to process. I mean, you're, it's, it's survival mode. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So there we are. Take it for what it's worth. Um, I hope people found it helpful. Um, you know, feel free to follow up, um, with any questions and, you know, we hope to talk more about our careers and, you know, sort of how we got there and share advice on that. Um, we have a lot to cover. Uh, we're happy to be back. So any final thoughts, Maisie? Um, I don't think so. I think I don't want this to be all doom and gloom. Just if you are thinking about grad school, be very intentional. 
um, and be prepared and understand um, what you are about to endure. Um, but no, like Mal said, let us know if you have any questions or ideas for other episodes. As always, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram um, with Maze and Mal. It is the word and. And then Mal is curb cuts and cocktails. And I am the Mazenator. I think there's an underscore. I don't know anymore. Um, but thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>